0: Hey everyone, welcome to Founders three hundred and sixty five with me, Stephen Haggerty. Today, I am joined by Anthony Rose, who is the co-founder of Seed Legals. How are you, saying Anthony?
1: Hey, very well, thank you.
0: Thank you for being on, and thanks for your time. I know you're a very busy guy, um, but let's just start this conversation off. For those of for those that haven't heard of Seed Legals, which I'm sure is very few, what is it that you guys do, and what is it you offer?
1: So we are the one-stop platform to build your business, raise investment, build your team. So instead of going to a law firm, there's a 24-7, always-on platform uh, to do all the legals for funding round, hiring people, cap table, the works. Um, and my goal is that I like to think, what would a law firm do, and then do everything completely the
0: opposite. <laughs> I love that <laughs> approach. Uh, let's go back in time then, because 2016 uh, was when Seed League was co-founded. You guys have achieved a lot in a very short space of time, but I want to skip before it was co-founded. What was going on in your world that you saw this problem and you thought, yeah, I'm, I can help fix this, I can help solve this?
1: so you know after i left the bbc doing iplayer i built a startup sold it built a startup sold it invested in a few didn't really think too much about the process and then i invested in three delightful students who are doing a social network for a university uh, they sent one of them i was trying to hire previously as an ios developer he was still at uni um, he sent me his pitch deck and said you know give me your thoughts on the pitch deck and i went Hitch Tech's a bit mad, but I love the idea. I tell you what, I'll save you a lot of trouble. I'll invest. So then I thought, well, obviously we need to do proper deal docs, but there's no way I'm paying anyone for it. So I kind of nicked the docs from my last company and beat them into shape. I thought that they would be uh, – totally bored by the whole process but I thought I couldn't be judge, jury and executioner you know as the investors and as the legal guy so I would explain it to them uh, and I was amazed to see that they were hugely interested and I was also pleasantly surprised f- to find that I thought I was actually quite good at explaining all the deal points and then I was also slightly disappointed to find there's a lot of stuff I really didn't know so there's a lot of frantic googling but there was, the idea was kind of born that um, can there be some other way of doing this? And then again, I thought no more about it. And then I met my business partner, Laurent Laffy genius uh, ex-VC and serial angel investor. We met at a party, and he was explaining that, you know, uh, funding rounds take forever, lawyers charge a fortune. They make mistakes, which for him, the human mistake element was the biggest problem, right. and, uh, and he wanted to – change that and we thought hmm, interesting we should think about this further so we got together and actually did something about it
0: i love that and like i said your your growth has been incredible really considering like we said no one was doing anything like this before it was a very traditional and it still is a very traditional industry the legal sector how was it coming up against those more traditional way of thinking because listen your solution is easier at the end of the day saves people money saves people time um, and the, your whole message of seed legals is very connected to that entrepreneurial spirit that entrepreneurial mindset how was those initial first couple of months first maybe couple of years when obviously you were trying to get people on the system and get it used
1: well, it's a great question. So I think, you know, in any startup, you've got a few key problems to solve, which will vary by team and startup. So sometimes it's, can you build it? Maybe it's technically very complicated. Or can you ever get funding for it? Or can you build a team? Or do you have any experience? Or can you get people to want it? And what I found is, I mean, between Laura and myself, my business partner, we, you know, we could fund it ourselves. We're pretty sure startups wanted it. You know, between me as a startup and as Laura as the investor, we're pretty sure we knew we could build it, it was going to be hard work, and we knew we could build a team. The key problem I had, or we had was you know maybe investors would just hate it. they go, no, no, you have to go to a lawyer. Or maybe each deal was going to be so customized that uh, the, the platform would never be able to uh, deal with any given round. Um, so you know, like any MVP, you know you obviously uh, you want to get something out the door before you've built everything that's the whole goal of startups but of course you can't really go mvp on someone's legals yeah this one's probably going to be okay <laughs>
0: this <the> test,
1: bro. <laughs> that, that's right yours you know if it folds you know, give us a call <laughs> let us know it didn't work but so so what we had is we have our you know we had the swan gliding smoothly across the water but underneath frantic paddling so that was our chief legal officer you know uh, you know the website was collecting the information and Behind it, we were busy, you know, in Word, busy busy building it, going, you know, she's going, this is going to kill me. Can you please (laughs) automate this before I die? So... um, but, but, you know, then what we found is not only did investors accept it, but they loved it. People started calling us going, hey, you know, I, I invest in this company. I was amazed. The founders' deal docs were great. They knew what they were talking about. You know, what was the muse that was wh- whistling in their ear <laughs> telling them what to do? So um, so we saw that worked. And then, but now I think of the key learnings which were – I think when we started, my assumption is people are looking for legals, Mm -hmm. but actually nobody's looking for legals. You never wake up in the morning going, I'm looking for a legal document. What you're looking for, and it sounds a bit trite, But you're looking for a solution so my goal you know if you go to a law firm they'll probably tell you the 12 things you could do with the big risk analysis on that that doesn't help you at all my goal is to essentially recognize what most people are doing essentially use data to show you what you probably want to do and then my goal is to actually give you the solution and give it to you in a sort of plain english way that's thing number one thing number two i think often people don't really know What's possible. So sometimes you think, you know, I need a term sheet for a funding round. But generally, there's a sort of dark pit of stuff you need to do. And uh, so if you can just show people these are the things you need to do because it turns out that you know every founder is different and every idea is different but most funding rounds are remarkably self similar or yeah. well, every time you hire an employee there's always like eight things that are standard you're going to work probably in our office maybe not these days sometimes at home you going to paid this amount you might get some stock options share options you know these are your holiday days so if i can just show you what you probably want show you what's standard give you data the entire problem space is transformed. And then I think the last thing which I realized ultimately it's all about empowerment. And it's not just my business, it's any business. And I think when I look at someone's website, you know, whether it's paying your electricity in a new way, instead of wandering around to you know the basement and looking in the dark at a meter, is some, you know, anything that empowers you that You know, on demand, on your browser, in the middle of the night, you can accomplish the task you want, that will be, I think, the winner in the future.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. In those early days, or again, maybe in the first couple years, looking back now, what were some of those proudest moments, obviously a new business, even though you've had multiple experiences of both sides of the field, but what were some of those proudest moments for you within Seed Legals in those early days?
1: I think probably the first one was completing our own funding round on seed legals. So I must admit, we took forever to close our first round. We were way slower than anyone else. And the reason is between my... Well, between my business partner and myself, we were insisting we were going to do it on seed legals. But then, you know, we wanted everything to be perfect. It would deal with the insanely complicated things we had in mind, and everyone would get beautiful share certificates. So we probably spent about six months doing our round because we wanted it to be just so. It but it became afterwards... your
0: own most challenging client. Exactly.
1: I think it's called eating your own dog food or something. <laughs> but um, so, so that was uh, great. But I must say, I think. I think for me, it's just a lot of little things on a daily basis that firstly, you know, building a a great team. Um, That's always nice, particularly when, you know, COVID hits and things are not good that you can say, I've got cash in the bank, I've got cash flow team. You've got a, you know, an assured livelihood. You're not going to be out in the street. That is hugely satisfying because you've lured people from other companies to come and follow you and you want to be able to deliver on that. And then I think also on a daily basis, just see people doing their funding rounds. Probably the thing I love most is actually, you know, at midnight on a Sunday night with our Slack integration, see someone's, you know, raised 100K using instant investment or something. And that was just not possible before. So there's the founder at home, you know, As doing, you know, founders, uh, the only time you ever get to do boring stuff like accounting and legals and investment is on a weekend evening. Um, (laughs) They could just never, you know, close around, do stuff in a way that is now possible. And I think for me, that's the bit that gets me actually most excited.
0: Yeah, those moments must be so great for you. Uh, You mentioned team and and team is something I wanted to talk to you about, because I put a couple of questions out there to our founders and community. And one of the things that a couple of them said was that, you obviously have built an incredible team that every touch point that they've had with the company with anyone in the business has just been seamless and faultless and and really brought with an open line of communication how did you manage I mean, it's kind of a trick question i guess but how did you manage to build this kind of culture how did you manage to you know like you said lure people in even with in those early days and those first couple of first couple of employees
1: it's a great question, and uh, of course I don't claim to know the answer. But here's what I try: I try super hard. So, firstly, I think uh, I like to hire people who are sort of self-starters. I always joke with people I hire that they're all going to be founders who are going to go and you know leave and. Build their own business. Hopefully, not too soon. But I love people who just take the initiative. I love people who have a sort of three D macro worldview of the space. So my business partner, who's a genius at funding rounds, if I asked him something, he wouldn't tell me, you know, as I might know, like wrote, you know, do X because Y happens. He'll explain the three rounds further on. You know, the following will unfold if you do X, and so uh, you you understand the space, and so. The next thing is, you know, can I find people who are super smart and help mentor them so that they understand the big picture? So when people call us, they can help. The third thing, and this is my onboarding. So every person who joins the company gets, you know, personal Anthony onboarding session. And there, the first thing I explain is, I think there are three levels of customer support. Um, The level one is what would BT. Do And you must never, ever do that. So BT would probably it's like uh, it's the sort of turn it off and on again kind of thing. So they tell you something that's technically accurate and probably doesn't help you at all. Level two is where you go and look at that person's particulars in detail. So let's say somebody says, you know, my number of shares isn't adding up. The level one would be check your cap table, make sure the numbers are correct. It's like, oh, you know, assume the person's intelligent. Don't do that. Level two would be to use the information you can find. So put on your, you know, Hercule Poirot hat and do some sleuthing. Look at their company house filings and see what's public there. And then you might go, oh, you know, your nominal values incorrect. It doesn't match this. And that's level two. But level three, which I think you can do better, is to actually fix the problem. So instead of saying to the person, you know, go here and push this button and sort that, you could then go, actually, you know, I've sorted that for you, please check. And by the way, while looking at it, I noticed your free trial expired, so I gave you another 60 days on me. So if you can have in your mind, you know, what would be like the best response? Now, of course, it's it's easy to think about doing that, but, you know, when you've got like 150 or 200 customer interactions a day, you know, across the team, it starts becoming quite busy. So you have to really keep that in mind. But uh, for my part, I try to always impress on the team Anne and myself, you know, it's all about, you know, an awesome customer experience. And I think that's a key differentiator.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, it goes to show that that's worked because like I said, the feedback that I've had, uh, from people that are, are using your system and using the C legals base as a whole, it's just, I've never heard a bad thing about you guys. Which oh, well, that's, that's really very kind. And really I guess nice the challenge, well.
1: and so thank you. And I guess the challenge is, you know, when you, when you're five people, you know you can talk to everyone and one of them's you uh, hopefully it's easier now we're 60 people and you know in a year's time it might be double that those will be the challenges as you start adding more people and you become a bit more disconnected and of course now you know when everyone's in the office you can wander around and how's it going is there a problem can i help with anything you've got a difficult interesting one great let me hop in but now it's a bit more difficult yeah. with you know people at home so so to try and combated? keep that
0: how, how have you combated that then
1: Well, I think what I found is the team largely took to it like ducks to water. I think most of our customer interactions were on Zoom anyway, um, so that didn't change. I think the two hardest things that I perceived, and one of them wasn't hard and the other one is, is the one I perceived as new joiners, onboarding. How do you bring people to be part of the culture and so on? So typically, you know, when you have someone, they sit with their colleagues and they learn and how does that work remotely? And actually, it turns out that seems to work quite well. We're all on Slack, intercom, you know, Zoom sessions and so on. We tag team. So I've been pleasantly surprised. But I think the hardest thing is Product development because normally you want to be in a room and a whiteboard and go, Well, how about this? and we draw that yeah, and let the creativity you... <laughs> flow. Exactly, and you're trying to sort of reach into your Zoom screen and going, no, move that up. So uh, that that I think is the hardest. And it's said that what's missing, you know, in remote working is serendipity, because when you're with people in the office, the bar for you know overhearing something or seeing these people in a meeting room together, or you know joining in a conversation or meeting at the water at the coffee machine, is is uh, you you know you have got all these connections, but now you have to create you know, a Slack or a Zoom call or something to do it. And I think I think what will be interesting is, um, you know, the immediate short-term uh, changes, I think we adapted really quickly. It will be interesting to see what's like the one or two-year change. Do you find that longer-term new things you want to develop just don't happen as much because you start focusing on the here and now and not on the big picture? This I don't know the answer to.
0: Yeah. I uh, I might have a solution for you that I'll talk to you afterwards. But uh, all right, it's it's quite an interesting one. For for seed legals, then obviously this year has been an interesting one, so to speak. Let's put it that way. Like we said, you know, things that are completely unexpected. What sort of things have you learned as a as a founder of a very public facing company? What have you learned from this situation that has arisen that perhaps you are still going to bring and adopt moving forward?
1: I think one of the interesting things personally is you know, I think many founders are, you know, they start off as, you know, maybe they've done an m a uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, business uh, background, or maybe they're a tech founder, that's really me, I'm a tech product guy, or maybe they're a doctor or something. But you're all a sort of domain expert. And for the most part, when you build a business, yes, you've got to deal with people, but you can sort of stick in your zone. But then along comes an event like COVID. And suddenly, you know, you have to have some sort of leadership skills, you have to have a say uh, on things that you don't know any more than anyone else. So should the team be back in the office? You know, should you furlough people? If business is down, what should you do? The good news is we didn't have any bad problems, but, you know, should I push people to be in the office? Should we go completely remote? Nobody knows the answer. So now I think, that's kind of interesting when you look within you could just procrastinate and wait for someone else to have the answer you could sort of kind of hope that someone else in the team does it but you know if you're the ceo you're meant to have the answer the team's looking up to you mm-hmm. so w- what do you do and i think that's really interesting because i mean how am i meant to know any better than anyone else whether the covid's going to be up or down or finished in two weeks or with us forever but i but i can't not have a view on it and I can't have a view that's, you know, obviously just made up and, and changes by the day. So I think you find that you have to, you know, pull out leadership things that you didn't think you had and you want to lead your team to be happy, productive, safe, uh, inspired Um and and of course you know then modify this as things go along so in my case you know we opened our office i think um, or at least I, from what i've seen we've got about 20 25% of people in the office i'm using cake to bribe people to be it's in always the best um, way bribery, e- exactly you know I, there's a pause downstairs and uh, <laughs> i come by with cake no but i mean we don't neither force people to be in the office or tell you not to be in the office um, so, and, and then it's been interesting to see sort of people sort of trickle back in and of mm-hmm. course, people who are closer come in or people who've got small apartments. I think one thing that I've heard is that, you know, managers are happy to say work at home because they've got bigger houses or apartments and more junior people have got, you know, smaller apartments and they are desperate to get out. So, you know, what can you do anyway? So, so that was a bit of a segue, but I think, you know, learnings to see how you act when, there's a perturbation in the force. Yeah.
0: I think it really puts spotlights on leadership, like you said, and, and being able to pull things that you either didn't know or didn't expect to use in your leadership skill set, uh, which has been really nice to see how different companies have dealt with the situation. Uh, one thing I'm curious about, sort of moving away from 2020, just in general, is that obviously back in 2016 when you launched, there wasn't many services like yours and now you know four four years on there's a couple popping up we're seeing a few different ones how do you how do you view that do you do you view that with open arms are you like bring it on let's have a little bit of competition or are you more like i, I want to be the top dog which obviously you are <sighs>
1: I'm, you know, it's said if you don't think you've got any competition, you're defining your space too narrowly. But I must say, I'm quite amazed that in the four years we've been around, no one is building a sort of legal tech platform like we are. Mm. You know, there are always lawyers who are competitors in a sense. There are crowd platforms. There's some people doing secondary markets and cap tables. Yeah. But but I, I've been quite surprised that there's nothing, you know, there's there's no other seed legals to go and do a funding round and and. Quite a few related things, um, but of course, uh, you know, you kind of want competition in that you want the industry to recognize and people to recognize that you know everything has changed. But of course, you don't want too close competition. I think one of the uh, maybe two things: one, um, you know, what happens when one day you wake up and you've got a significant competitor, and I think number two is. Uh, when you start a business you know you have a disruptive idea but if you don't keep innovating one day you're going to figure out that someone's out disrupted Mm -hmm. you so in our business we don't for example do blockchain or smart contracts because I've never yet met somebody who calls me going my investors are insisting on a (laughs) blockchain-based smart contract. no my investors have sent me a term sheet and they want a funding round please so my goal is just to give you an easier way of doing of of meeting your goals not redefining particularly your goals but you know that obviously won't be forever and I'd be disappointed if one day, you know, it turns out that someone else has built a business that means the entire thing we've created is now old. It's like, a, you know, I'm, my joke is, you know, the, the lawyers are like the or others are building the better horse and carriage. You know, I've built the the car, but maybe someone else will come up then with the self-driving car. So, <laughs> so there I think is the key challenge, which is, you know, once upon a time, you know, founder has an idea and then goes and builds a business and you can easily become complacent that you focus on revenue month on month growth, whatever, but you optimizing for a local maximum rather than the next thing. Mm. And I must say that for me is now, I think the time that, you know, we've done a lot of uh, incremental pieces and, you know, changed the way that UK companies raise investment. There's now more raised in rolling close and pre a funding round than in a funding round, which I think wow. is amazing. But, You know, what's the next step, which is going to be investor matchmaking, maybe secondary markets and a range of things. And I think the big challenge and then I'll get back to you on that is when you started the business, you probably found a pain point that people were looking to solve and you look to solve that later on you have to be careful not to get ahead of yourself and start going, oh, we can build all this cool stuff. It turns out that nobody wants it. And then you find yourself like with a huge team and a huge burn rate, and you've uh, sort of outgrown your usefulness, so to speak. Um, and, And so to find the right balance between Building shit that no one wants, and not building stuff, and being out disrupted by by somebody new, is your uh, challenge, uh, you know, in the later, well, in the next stages.
0: Yeah, I think that's spot on. Uh, I, you know, we we both seen, I'm sure, that there are companies that have done the latter, where they've tried to almost be the answer for everything in their little niche or their industry, uh, and it kind of bites them in the bites them in the behind after after a time the disruptive right. side of things I'm super interested in how do you as a founder make sure that you are in that space where you're you're looking for that self-driving aspect of the car you know you're not getting too lost on the what are wheels looking like what's the steering wheel looking like you're always making sure that you're that one step ahead
1: i might be a bad Uh, example of answering that because I think historically I you know I I, I'm super focused on you know customer driven development and you know awesome customer uh, service and so on Um, and uh, as a result I might be focused personally too much on the hero now not on the big picture just because you end up spending all your time on that and so you know how can i force myself to you know delegate more to be able to look at the big picture with my business partner and so on i must say my business partner maybe that's the perfect solution because he complements me perfectly in that i am very transactional he's very strategic and big picture and maybe that's a key you know uh, good partnership that you're playing both sides. If someone's just playing strategic, you might be forever trying to build stuff that's two steps ahead. And if you're just looking the here and now, you might be polishing the stone perfectly. And then one day you wake up and like everyone's moved somewhere else. Um, Obviously, I don't know the answer, but I think the time has come in in our business that... um, I I think, by the way, here's one useful thing for, for anyone watching which is something i heard a while back which is a company you can think of it as two parts a startup and a business so when you begin your enterprise you're just a startup a startup is all about finding product market fit experimenting building stuff you don't know if people really want it and a business is when you know exactly what your cost of goods sold is you know what your custom acquisition cost is, you know, how long it takes your team to service a particular thing, uh, you know, your revenue on it. And this is sort of business as usual. And this is where you go raising series A because you are now going to spend a lot on marketing, sales, and so on, because you've got something that you know people want and you make more out of uh, a customer than it costs you to require a customer. The startup, on the other hand, is where you, you know, getting angel investment. No one knows it's going to work. But if you can continue to think about your business as it grows in these two sections, then on the one hand, you maybe, you know, add people in your team, you know, who are skilled at their area—marketing, sales, ops, whatever it might be—to grow the business side, while you keep in your mind creating more startups within the business. And now, by focusing on both, sort of suitably, you're not going to put all your eggs into the startup basket. Otherwise, you'll you'll just lose sight of the fact that something has to pay everyone's wages. Um, but if you don't have any startup in your business, then one day you just find that you know you you haven't got any innovation, and then maybe you have to acquire other companies, or you know you get acquired, or whatever it might be. But if you keep firmly in mind these two ways that you operate, and I think that. Uh, you know, in, in our business that I, for my part, can look to, you know, hand over perhaps some more on the operational side and the business piece and and uh, have fun playing on the startup piece. Um, that, that's uh, super important for the next step as well.
0: Yeah, and that shows the power of delegation, knowing your value, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. I think this is a common theme that comes up in a lot of these talks that, you know, having that support network around you as a founder actually allows you to, to focus on your strengths and to focus on what that business needs rather than trying to spin all the plates and inevitably some are gonna get broken, which is really ideal. Uh, one thing I wanna talk about sort of coming to the end of this conversation, but the future of seed legals. what have you got, what's next for you? What's next for your growth plans? I, I know that you've got a couple of things in the pipeline and, and launching soon
1: great question obviously some things i can talk about and some not but um, i think when we started it was all about uh uk it was all about startups it was all about early stage why well because we're in uk we're in london uh startups early stage are the fastest adopters you know founders are just used to doing things in a new way i mean their entire business is disrupting old things so that was a natural starting point but that was just the beginning our goal has always been you know sort of concentric circles so the first thing was you know not just startups the later stage rounds and as companies have grown with us our round size has been increasing step by step number two not just the UK so you know transfer wise gives you borderless banking imagine borderless legals you know right now you'd never if you're a UK investor invest in a French company you've no idea how it works legally you don't even understand all the docs I mean, it's a crazy thing so we've cracked or you know, largely my business partners cracked the French legal system over about six months of insane amount of work and we've built that on seed legals and now you know we're it's a UK or a French or an Irish round, and soon others, you see your standard deal terms normalized across all jurisdictions, but then it will build the docs appropriately. So I think that's going to be a game changer. The next thing is that when we started, it was all about startups, but actually, that's just the inner circle. So there are about 15,000. Early stage growth startups, new ones each year in the UK. About fifty thousand, you know, SMEs. About two hundred thousand more, sort of steady state companies, and millions of, you know, just company house companies. So our goal is to expand our offering into companies that fall outside of the, you know, I'm just raising investment. And you'll see a lot more there. But the short answer is, you know, we want to be the operating system of your company, a platform that you can build your business on. And I think one more point, which is we started off really being about the founders and a solution to their problems, but actually we're now moving to phase two, which is all about the investors as well. So we've just launched Deal Manager for investors. So it's the fastest way to send out your term sheet and see all your deals in one place. And by having both parts of the market, we want to dramatically reduce the friction. You're not a crowd platform, not doing matchmaking, but tools for both sides of the market, that then of course in due course may well lead to, you know, the next things which you might surmise on.
0: I I love that and that growth plan and what you guys have got in store just sounds incredibly exciting. And I'm sure from where you sit and if you look back at the last four years, I have no doubt that you must be incredibly proud of what you've built and your co-founders built.
1: I am uh, very pleased. I'm, mean, uh, I'm most pleased at uh, my team and colleagues, uh, particularly now, we're, you know, operating remotely, and um, you know, totally delighted to uh, be able to be part of what we've built. And I think, um, you know, not everyone in the world's having a great time, but it's very nice to be able to. Um, offer an environment and uh, be part of an environment. I think, particularly in our case, you know, working with startups, you talk to uh, an ever, you know, never-ending stream of bright founders who are looking to change the world, and 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 that's really, really satisfying.
0: Yeah, I, I, I imagine the conversations and what you see is a very interesting point of view in terms of the, just the founder space as a whole. Uh, but Anthony, listen. I really value your time, so I guess my final question is if if anyone hasn't heard of Seed Legals or doesn't know what it is, how can they find out more about it and get in touch with them?
1: Yeah, so seedlegals.com, head over there. Uh, if you're looking for any deal data or advice and so on, seedlegals.com, resources, deal data. Um, I've got a new series called Pitch Deck Clinic. So there are endless numbers of articles on you know how to create the pitch deck. Here's the pitch deck that Uber used to raise 1000000000 they They're completely useless. <laughs> There's only one graph in those pitch decks that's important, which is the revenue one. They can say yada, 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 and all the other pages. Those things aren't useful, so Pitch Deck Clinic is I get on a call with a founder in over forty-five minutes, pick apart gently their pitch deck so that you can see in practical examples. So pitch deck clinic you'll find in resources investor hub. And then if you want to chat with me, Anthony at SeedLegals.com, you know or just hit the web chat bubble. And my goal is you know less than a median five-minute response time for anything you want. So that's, a, that's yeah. an
0: incredible goal and, a, and very good on you. Anthony, listen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on the success of Sea legals and I very much look forward to see, see that growth you mentioned and see what else you've got in store.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you, and thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. This has been Founders 365.